Welcome to the Battery Testing Mentor Podcast. My name is Johannes and here I discuss all topics on battery handling, battery testing. Short, on the point and with practical advice. Also visit www.batterytestingmentor.com and register there for the email update that gives you always a summary of the key takeaways of that episode. And should you have any questions, comments, feedback, just hit reply on that email and you directly reach me. Today, I'm also very happy to have my first interview guest here in the podcast. A good friend of mine, Benjamin Schreibert, has visited me and we talked a bit about battery testing and his experiences in the battery testing area. I got to know him in, in China when I was in China. He is still in Thailand and we met regularly. But all the details come later in the podcast. I cut this uh, interview into several parts. We will have uh, probably three thematic, thematic blocks and I will release it in the next couple of weeks. For some of these sessions, I might add in the end some summary remarks uh, and my own thoughts. Please let me know how you like this interview, what I should improve. Also in the email that is sent out, I have a short survey because I want to hear your input, your opinion, which guests I should invite in the future from which areas of expertise. So go on this survey and let me know your opinion. It's very short, only two questions, um, so it won't take a lot of your time. But with that, let's go into the interview and give the floor to Benjamin. Well, so thank you very much for coming here. I would like to start by introducing you, or better, do you want to introduce yourself before I put words into your mouth? Very short from my side, you are Benjamin, and you have a lot of experience with batteries, right? Yes, originally I am a chemist, I studied electrochemistry and then did my doctorate and now I really have more than 10 years of experience in the field of lithium-ion batteries. After my doctorate, I worked for a large OEM in Germany in research development, where I then did the battery tests, so to speak, and later I went abroad and then changed jobs and am now a consultant at P3. Exactly. And during this time abroad we got to know each other. I was in China and you were there in Thailand. Um, yeah, that's where this contact comes from and I'm now extremely happy that you are the kind of premier guest here to, to kick um, the interviews off in this podcast. So let's see how it turns out. I'm curious, it's also a trial for me, so be a little bit kind <laughs> to what is going on here. Um, and maybe in the beginning I thought let's do a short questionnaire like I have prepared a couple of questions the first one would be what have you experienced in battery testing where you really say you will remember it that was really impressive or maybe that also 
haunts you until uh, your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot, there are a lot. No, but I interpret this now rather positively in the way of what was impressive. I mean there were both, good and bad experiences. I would say in general first, when you first get into battery testing and you get to know the real tests and see them. Of course everything impresses, so the first things are always memorable no matter whether that is only an environmental test or just anything else. Or a safety test, and for me, what really remained in memory was actually a safety test, a fuel fire test. The requirements are that the battery has to withstand a fire for a certain time, for example if you have to drive through a forest fire, that the battery doesn't burn under the chair. In any case, we actually did this in a bunker facility in the middle of a forest. This bunker already existed and we used it, not us, but our test supplier. And we gave him the battery and wanted to have the result. And the fascinating thing was to see how this product, the battery, that we developed, behaved. We had simulations beforehand. You build predetermined breaking points into the battery, so that you know that if it breaks open, it should, for example, go off to the side and not hit the driver right under the butt. The impressive or almost creepy thing was how then the battery from a certain moment went into thermal runaway. You have to imagine it like this, at the beginning you have noticed nothing, then the test continued, at some point you notice it became thicker. And then it started, you saw then really the battery communication failing, as all the systems have shut down one by one and then the battery just went off. First somehow with hissing and smoke and in the next moment a thick dirt jet broke through the steel housing, which was completely melted. And then there was a bang with a lot of smoke and the whole thing ended in such a way that the bunker system could not completely contain all the emissions from the battery. The lab had smoke extraction, filters and whatever. But then you only saw how suddenly a huge black wall rose above the bunker, which lay over the forest and came towards us. And then we had to flee from this black wall. That was fascinating. That stays in your memory, you often have something like this in battery testing. Especially when you work with batteries every day, you underestimate the power inside. At some point, it becomes normal. And then to see, what kind of energy is behind it, what kind of violence when it breaks out, that was very memorable, at least the first time. Yeah, that's definitely the case. So next question, what was the worst experience you had during battery testing? Thank God there were no really bad experiences. A really bad experience would have been something, like a battery that had just somehow burned down or people had been injured in a test. So let's say there were rather interesting things and that just kind of follows from small random stuff to big things. You order a test from a lab. Then you look at the lab on site and then there's not so much a lab there. It's then just a construction site for example. Or just an experience I had for example with one supplier. You order a test. And then the supplier says to you, no, we don't do that in this way, that's totally stupid. 
We are not interested in how you want the battery to be tested. We do our way. And you think, I'm paying for this test, why doesn't the lab do what I ask them to do? And of course, that has happened here in Thailand, that a supplier really approached me as the customer and then insisted that I program his machines, set them up and do the test myself. And then I say, well, I can't do that because I don't know your lab's machines and requirements, so how am I supposed to do that? Besides, I'm paying you for it, why should I build a lab now? That would have been the most interesting experiences for me. And on the other side, where would you say that was really good, that was impressive, I will really remember this? In fact, the last example of this supplier there, we had really very long time problems. And that then unfortunately also turns a bit personal with some people. Because they see you at some point as the enemy. You are just always this guy who comes and says, no, it doesn't work like that. You are doing it wrong, you have to do it again. With this institute it was really starting like this. Then it was not the boss himself, but it was the laboratory manager. You could see that he really put his mind to it. He started from scratch with little experience. And in the end he was really able to program his machines himself, you could see, that he carried out the test sensibly, that he thought ahead with us. To see this development there, that surprised me very much, but also for the better. Because that was not foreseeable in the first projects that we had with them. You thought, oh my god. And of course, what always surprises me actually when you test abroad, often the creativity of the people to solve problems. This has fascinated me. Sometimes you say, here we are stuck, there is no way forwards, there is a wall. And then the lab really came up with a very very creative solution, where you have then reported back to the research and development headquarter and they have only said, no, 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 you cannot do it this way. But in the end it has worked. So directly the next question then, what would be your wish from a test lab? That is difficult, so in detail it really depends on what you want. So what would be then the number one wish list point? <laughs> yes, maybe there are some points, but I would also put responsibility on the customers, so to speak. There should be more standardization. There must be more of the same tests so that the results are also comparable among each other. And one should then really make the tests more individual in the different countries according to the requirements in the country. As a very simple example, if I really don't intend to export the battery, but only to use it in this country, and I'm in a country where it's hot all the time, why do I have to carry out tests that the standard specifies at minus 25 degrees Celsius? That's only nice to have. You can maybe do that somehow in the basic validation of the battery, but in a series validation, where the tests are carried out again and again, I don't think that makes sense. So put more emphasis on the requirements of the corresponding country. I'm here now in Thailand and if battery tests are made here, or the battery is to be introduced, then I also recommend to the customer, 
of course with consultation with their R&D, that it is very important to make mechanical tests here, because the roads are not optimal here. Secondly, really really make all IP tests including diving and so on. Because here it rains, there is really a rainy season here and then the things float. I drove here over the roads, next to me was a cab really deep in the water, next to it a truck drove by, and this cab suddenly floated away like a boat. It had no more ground traction. That's why you have to pay attention to such things. You need to make sure then that the, the sealing of the doors work properly. Indeed, indeed. And the last question of my little survey, which area in this battery industry uh, are you looking at right now and you're really excited about, where you're really looking forward to see this development in reality? There's actually quite a lot I'm actually curious even if it has now already been announced that it works, but how solid state is really used afterwards in the application. I mean these solid state batteries. What has been hyped a lot and how those then work in reality. Then I'm still curious about the ultimate application of sulfur batteries, so lithium sulfur, because one has really limited in retrospect the applicability, because of the problem with the volumetric energy density. So limited to stationary energy storage, keyword battery storage power plants. And then of course hydrogen. What will really happen with hydrogen? That is interesting and then, what actually interests me, is that we will have more and more batteries. How recycling will really be like afterwards. In Germany, we somehow have the requirement that, I think, 50 or 80% must be recycled. But unfortunately this is also often a bit of a tricky play, for example, today this includes the housings. So the housing of a battery was only recycled, especially if it was a small AA battery. It was really the metal housing that was recycled. The inside not at all and you can just make this with normal zinc manganese battery, consumer batteries, that are disposable. But with a lithium ion battery, or a car battery where all the electronics is inside, there are rare earths. Or metals are used, which as we see now already, get increasingly expensive, then you only have the possibility to recover the parts and then to recycle. Or to go the way to somehow replace these materials. Or not to use them. This is also the reason why they want to increase the nickel content of the cathode with the NMC, that is the nickel manganese spinel. And decrease the cobalt content, because the cobalt prices are going through the roof. So among other things, this is one reason. Another is of course the the intrinsic energetic reasons, which is higher energy density. But a lot is coming our way, the question of how fast it comes. Yeah, that's the question. Like, I remember I had an old colleague, I mean, he was a wise colleague, and he always said, wait, it will take its time, it will take its time, it's not so fast in the battery industry. Yeah, unfortunately. It's just the next trend that is coming up and in a couple of years it will be back in the lab.
Exactly. One must never forget, there are unfortunately also in every new technology, there are also corresponding opponents. There are just enough in the old technology perhaps, maybe still enough, who earn good money. Or just have the monopoly and accordingly they do not want to change it. I have also an example with the current lithium-ion batteries, the electrolyte provides the transport of the ions, so the conductivity within the cell. And then there is a common mixture used, of course with a few specific additives, which are then super secret. But the basic principle remains the same. And then I once talked with one from the chemical industry about the disadvantages and problems of electrolyte. So he is producing them. And I asked why they are not producing these new additives, because with scale of a large plant it will be cheaper, the more you upscale, the cheaper it will be. He just looked at me and then laughed and said, do you actually know what we put in there? It is just a waste product of our processes, we make with what was once waste an insane amount of money. Why should we change that?